Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the kingdom of God, and we were talking about salvation. Where What's going to save you? Who's going to save you? Is Christ going to save you? Save you from what? Save you from the boogeyman? <laughs> save you from the devil? Save you from demons? Save you from original sin? Save you so that you have a place to go after you die? What's salvation really all about? And we have number of articles up on salvation, and we'll, we'll probably end up going through that on this series on salvation. But what we were talking about this morning was saving you in this world, because salvation is for the living. It's actually to save you so that you continue to live, and that you find the kingdom, and the kingdom is from generation to generation. That's what it says in the book. That may not be what you're used to hearing, unless you listen to us a lot, but that's what it says in the book, is that the kingdom of God is from generation to generation. And it's for the living, and it's at hand, it's within your reach. These are all things that they're telling you in the New Testament. There is another king, one Jesus, who evidently does not want to exercise authority one over the other, but there are certain laws that are already put into place in the universe, laws of the universe, laws of nature, uh, the laws of nature and nature's God. And if you violate those laws, if you go against those laws, if you do something contrary to those laws, there is a cause and effect. I mean, what you do is a cause. What you don't do is a cause. And, you know, if you if you let light in, darkness disappears. And if you shut light out, darkness appears and in that darkness you can make mistakes and bump into things and get injured and do the wrong thing and bring about your death and demise so what we talked about is the fact that they we did we talked about it last week but we also talked about it this morning because it was another committee and uh, these these new laws were put in front of that committee that are coming down and they're coming down all over the place there was a they've been written long in advance and introduced, and then they're just waiting for the opportunity uh, that maybe they even partially manufactured it because there is some evidence to to that. I don't want to get too much into the conspiracy realm here, but the the reality is is a doctor up in Portland was trying to find out uh, whether a case that came into his office was this measles epidemic, part of this measles epidemic that's coming about. It's only 49 people who got the measles. And they were all from the same source. And they were up in Washington. And uh, Washington just voted down their bill along these ways. They Their Congress passed it, but their Senate didn't approve it. They couldn't get enough votes in the Senate. So it backed off. But the mere fact that they're getting any votes on this is just just astounding, in, in my personal opinion, having been around for uh, almost three-quarters of a century watching these things happen in the world that that is astounding that so many people uh 40 to 9 in one vote thought it was absolutely okay to force everybody in the community to get vaccinations and i understand that part of that is because they don't really understand what vaccinations do and don't do what they can do what the, you know the harms that they can do 
and they like to hear somebody that they have placed in authority suddenly just say, it's okay. You know, I mean, that it's good. And the people who are critics, oh, they're deniers, you know, like climate deniers, vaccine deniers. And so we can just disregard them. Don't, you know, don't look at that man behind the curtain. But the reality is, is that there are some serious problems with the story that vaccines are your salvation. That they will save you and, and that they will keep you healthy. Because I can show you stories from the World Health Organization, uh, you know, from other doctors, from peer-reviewed papers that say there are some serious problems with vaccines that people need to be aware of to protect themselves. It's the same thing when we talked about things like the Constitution. You, you People, when I was growing up, were still reading the Federalist Papers as a part of their, in high school, as part of their education to understand the Constitution. Although I can show you the books in the, the 60s and 50s were already distorting what the Constitution actually said because I've gone back and read the books that were in the 30s and the 40s and the 20s and all the way back to the er, very early 1900s. And you can actually see that the opinions of history have changed. Uh, some really top-notch historians were telling us a much different story. And there seems to be a pattern to this alteration of history. And 1984 was a long time ago. <laughs> so, uh, and if the, if what you think is true is not true, many of the decisions you make may be wrong, may be faulty, may be dangerous. And this is all about, you know, the tree of knowledge. If you don't have the right knowledge, if you're going to eat from the tree of knowledge and you don't have correct knowledge, you know, lack knowledge, yea, but for through the, for the lack of knowledge, my people would have been saved. If you lack knowledge or you have incorrect information, you may be making the wrong decisions. And the idea of mandatory vaccinations might be a really bad idea. This is going to end badly. So anyway, we talked about a new amendment that was added to this. And also the fact that Governor Brown in Oregon, and this is going on in other states too. I don't, I'm just using this as an example Try to show you how things work. But, you know, the bill talks about implementing this by August 1st, 2020. But Governor Brown says because this is such an emergency, which, of course, it's not. It's a totally manufactured emergency, which I I was talking about Dr. Paul Thomas, who was saying that he was trying to send samples because somebody came in that might be measles, looked like measles, and they wanted to get it tested to find out if it really is measles or if it's just a fever and a rash, which also happens, and it's not measles. They didn't want the they didn't want the samples because they said there were no cases in Oregon. Yet the news had been saying that there were. So which is it? I mean, the health department is saying there isn't, but the newspaper is saying there is. That's a manufactured crisis, and there are no cases. The paper is only saying there's four cases. But Governor Brown is saying this is some kind of gigantic emergency, and there isn't even anybody sick. So what what is the agenda? They're they're definitely either these people are absolutely totally incompetent, or there's an agenda going on. And of course there could be an agenda. I just guessing trying to figure out what the agenda might be. Might be the fact that pharmaceutical companies are going to make billions of dollars if we go to forced vaccination. 
And according to the record of the past, that when you introduce vaccinations, especially forced vaccinations in a community, the the uh, amount of the disease, the amount of cases of the disease, infections of the disease goes up. And I gave examples of the fact that in several foreign countries, and I named a couple, which you can look, this World Health Organization information, there has been an increase in polio. But all the cases, all the cases are from the vaccine. There are no increase in polio cases in those areas due to what they call the wild virus. It's all your domesticated virus that's coming to the population and making people sick, crippling children through the vaccine. That's that's actually, I mean, I'm not making this up. You can go look it up. <laughs> I'm sure that you'll find somebody that says, oh, that's not true. And then you can, if you're going to jump to believe them, fine. But if you want to actually look it up and find out if it's true, you can find it. You know, just just look it up <laughs> and do some research. And we put a lot of stuff on the vaccine page so you can see this. And I'm not telling you not to t- take vaccines. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm just a pro-truther. And I don't want people bearing false witness. And I don't want people to be a false accuser. And I I do understand the difference between correlation and uh, causation. But the fact is, and, and if you go on our vaccine website, uh, and real quick, just looking back at this bill that's still co- coming in front, of, it's passed several committees now. And uh, some of the people who were voting against it, were actually in tears because they, they couldn't stop it. They couldn't convince these people because they have the, almost a religious fervor that we must do forced vaccinations. It's for the children to protect the people. It's for the, for the you know, common good or the better good or whatever you want to call it. But the reality is, is that, and, and we'll show you this, like in 1977, Dr. John Salk testified that, uh, that uh, this polio vaccine was actually the cause of most polio cases throughout the U.S. since 1961. That it's the vaccine bringing polio back. And if you look at the cases of polio before the vaccine was released, it was becoming evident that Polio was almost disappeared, uh, along with the numerous other diseases like whooping cough and pertussis, etc. They were on the wane, but they have a few. Then people start saying, oh my gosh, an outbreak, you know, and they think, oh, thousands will die and we don't do this. And But the reality is, is that 90% of the, the people in some of these places where there had been outbreaks, were already immune to the disease. That's why they weren't getting it before the polio vaccine was even released into the community because they tell you, you know, not anti-vaxxers, but the actual government uh, statistics show you that 95 to 98% of the people who got polio developed lifetime immunity to polio did so and never showed any symptoms. They were asymptomatic. They didn't get a cold. They didn't get diarrhea. They didn't get a sore throat. They just were exposed to polio. Their immune systems 
wiped out the polio viruses in their body and rejected it, and they were now not going to get polio. And eventually, when you get 50 to 60% of the people in the population uh, get to that point, you're not going to have a pandemic, an epidemic. It's not going to happen because you have herd immunity. You, you only need like 60% usually to get what is commonly referred to as herd immunity. Vaccines can't give you that. But some of the vaccines don't even have a, a 60% success rate. Many of the vaccines will allow you to not only still carry the disease, but shed uh, the disease so that other people can get it from you. And if you come into contact with somebody who hasn't been vaccinated, you can make them sick. And that's, of course, what's happening in some of these countries is that they're making other people sick. And so if you don't think that what I'm saying to you is true, you need to do some research. Because if what I'm saying to you is true, mass vac- vaccination, mandatory vaccination is going to increase disease. In society, it's it could possibly even create a plague, which you have no vaccine for, because I mean that's the way nature works. Is that you could actually be setting yourself up for a major plague by forcing vaccinations, because the vaccinations and this is their own information, the vaccinations can allow for a person to still carry the the virus reproduce the virus, and even mutate that virus. And then it it creates a a greater and greater exposure rate to that mutated virus, which if it it, it already shows itself not to be killed out by the vaccine, means its, its immunity to the vaccine is greater than your immunity to the polio virus. And so that's just polio. We can go into all the others, and I just don't have the time. Uh, but that's why we created the website so you can look at this. On the website, if you get down to the bottom of, uh, you know, before the footnotes, we have a list there of all kinds of other sources that you can uh, look up. Dr. Susan Humphreys, uh, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, uh, a lot of these different people. There's, I mean, there's all kinds. I There was quite a few that I I could have listed here. And, you know, we have different people that work on these pages, and they may list them. But uh, I don't want to uh, put that, I don't want, you know, I don't want to overwhelm you with the information. I, I took pages and pages of information and notes and everything and doing research and reading these peer review papers. And I just took bits and pieces because all I want you to do is start to open your eyes and start to question things. Don't just accept you know, uh, what people are telling you in the media as gospel, as if it is gospel, or don't, certainly don't believe that that is your salvation. You want to look, you want to understand a little bit about the process and, uh, and then take it from there. You have to learn to make choices. And those choices need to be based upon the spirit of creation, the spirit of life, the spirit of God dwelling in you. Now, what does that mean? That seems to be a, a big jump away from vaccines and the danger of vaccines. And, and you know, and vaccines can 
impart some immunity. It could save lives. But it also can cause hyperactivity, uh, fevers. It, it can cause autism, and we have a whole page on that. And, and I gave this, this this morning that this one practice up in Portland, in Oregon, he has four, seven, 715 patients who have never been vaccinated at all. 715 patients who've never had vaccine, vaccinations at all. They actually appear to me healthier than the rest of his patients. He has over 2,000 patients that are partially vaccinated. They've had some vaccination, but they're, they're going by a different schedule. Some of that is because they've had members of their family suffer vaccine injuries, and that would means genetically they might be susceptible to more injury in their other children. And so they're, you know, they're canceling some of the less important vaccines, etc. And it's a complicated, it's not really all that complicated. We just don't have the time to go through all of it. I mean, you know, like hepatitis B, most of the babies born today are not susceptible to hepatitis B because they have no means of contact. Uh, they, they're not doing drug, <laughs> drugs and sharing needles. And they're not hanging out with prostitutes or having promiscuous sex with uh, unknown people. So where are they going to get hepatitis B? It's not likely. So why pump them with 250 uh, is it milligrams of aluminum when it, you, you're not to, you know, an adult is not supposed to get 50 milligrams in a single day. But in the shot, I think there's 250 micrograms, I think it is of uh aluminum but anyway there's a lot a lot of people who have a lot more technical knowledge on this subject we're just saying start doing your research start looking things up look for people who are actually quoting information and not just cranking out platitudes and statements like somehow you know polio eliminated uh polio vaccine eliminated polio in this country it did not it was almost gone by the time they came up with the very first vaccine and you got the guy who invented the vaccine saying that most all of the cases after 1961 came from the vaccine. <laughs> so, because everybody's immune to the other, uh, you know, other, uh, types of uh, polio that you could get. There was a number of other things. We have several different things that we cover. We just try to do little short pieces on each so you don't have to read for hours and hours and hours like I did over the last several weeks and over the last many years. But we have a little section on herd immunity. Uh, correlation is not causation. Uh, we have a whole article on the forgotten pandemic, which was the Spanish flu, where it killed more people than the Black Death. It, it killed out somewhere between 3% and, and 5% of the world population. Uh, it was devastating. In some areas, more so in some than others. But why? What are some of the reasons? And what vaccine eradicated it? Well, no vaccine eradicated it. It came, people were exposed, people got it, people got immunity, and eventually you, you reach this point of herd immunity, which we explained in the previous section, where it couldn't travel through the population anymore. It didn't mean that you couldn't get, you know, some of this here and there. But the reality is that the community got immune. 
And that immunity, if it's natural immunity, can pass from generation to generation. And the ability to become immune can pass from generation to generation. And then we, we gave a little section on underreporting because they changed what they would call, you know, suddenly they changed the parameters as to what they're going to call polio. And the polio cases drop even more so. Well, that was right when they introduced the vaccine. So it looks like the vaccine caused a drop in the number of polio cases. But, you know, correlation is not causation. Their rules, their, their words. And so, no, no, it didn't do that. And again, I'm saying, you know, vaccines can impart immunity. I mean, how did they even discover the first vaccine for smallpox? I mean, if you actually read all the stuff that they did, to invent the first smallpox and some of the mistakes that they made because they actually killed thousands. Smallpox vaccinations killed thousands and thousands of people. It was terrible, some of the uh, mistakes because part of it was processing, part of it because they were just learning how to do things. But, I mean, it's kind of like, well, you know, people get an idea and they think it's really good. Let's Let's make canned goods, and we store all this food in canned goods, and it keeps amazing. Just uh, we're just shocked how good it works. And then they change something like seal the cans with lead, and then the lead leaches in the cans, and then the people are eating canned goods day after day while they're on, you know, they're out exploring, and they end up all getting lead poisoning and <laughs> start dying off uh, because they didn't know yet. And the same as the treatment for Spanish flu was one of them was using aspirin. And they would take 35 milligrams of aspirin, or grams of aspirin, uh, a day. And they wonder why people died. I mean, that's almost lethal if you're in good shape. If you're dealing with a respiratory illness, you're probably going to develop pneumonia. And, you know, fluid's going to build up in your lungs and you're going to really die. And that's, of course, what happened to many, many, many people. Because Spanish flu was not really that much more aggressive than other flus. At least that's what they're telling me from, you know, digging up frozen bodies in the tundra and testing the flu virus. And they're saying, well, you know, it's not not really that much more aggressive. It was conditions. And that was one of the other things that we talked about. I don't have a lot there, but we have a lot in the network and on the website. And there's a lot more to learn that I don't even know. But if your kids get measles, you, you need to know you need to give them vitamin A. And then if you don't have vitamin A, you need to know where to get it in nature. And certain fish oils will carry a lot of vitamin A. There's other sources, carrots, and uh, uh, lots of other uh, colored, certain colored fruits and uh, vegetables will have more vitamin A. Knowing that, and I don't know the extent of it, but knowing where you can get all those vitamin A, vitamin C, etc., that will do more for your health than anything that uh, you might get down at uh, the pharmaceutical because it's actually working on your health rather than simply counteracting the symptoms of a disease because that's mostly what pharmacies treat is the symptoms of the disease. You know, and and I've talked to you many times about, uh, uh, you know, pain can help heal. And this is why we have a page on meditation, learn meditation. Uh, but also, you have to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness in order to 
harness that meditation in a positive way. In other words, you have to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. You have to be honest. You have to be truthful about yourself and about others. All these things we call virtue. You have to be forgiving. Uh, you can't hold grudges. All those things are going to get in the way of of awakening yourself to the truth. Meditation is just an exercise in that process. But if you do that, and that's part of your program to seek the kingdom. I mean, other things can add to your health. Um, eating the right foods. Uh, fasting. Intermittent fasting. Not long periods of fasting, but intermittent fasting. Certainly fasting from being angry. Fasting for being unforgiving. Because you look out in the world and you see them doing these things. You could get very angry. That is counterproductive. You do not. You want to have faith. You want to cultivate faith. And know that there's no, getting angry at the world is not going to solve the problem. It, it may slap you to becoming awake when you hear some of these things, but now, now you have to take back your responsibility. And if you start loving your neighbor and serving your neighbor and being charitable to your neighbor in a way that strengthens them, an undefinable force will start to act upon your life. And continue the process of awakening. And so, in that process, you know, looking at your own thoughts, looking at what's in your own heart, that's part of the purposes of meditation. It's what the the Bible says, be still and know. And meditation is about being still. Not forcing your mind to be empty or anything like that. But to see, be still and wait upon the Lord. See what's going on in your own mind, in your own heart. And see it, face it, admit it, and let go of your anger and resentment. So anyway, back to pain. Pain is bringing your attention in a big way to some part of your body or your emotions. Because they can be very painful too. I mean, using the same, like I say, the same connections in your physical body to carry the pain of fear and anxiety and... uh you know, these emotional pains, they're, they're tr- th- those signals are traveling down the same nerve endings. What I'm saying is that when you see those things, accept that pain, look at it with patience and love, it will help the healing process. And I've given in the past, I've seen in the past, many miracles where people, where the doctor, out of the mouth of the doctor, he says, that's a miracle. That healed, that's a miracle. And, you know, it still took some time to heal, not very much. Healing that they thought was going to take months was completely healed in in a few weeks. Almost, I'm actually, wounds that should have taken months to close up were closed up in about three, four days. I mean, we're talking big, you know, three, four inch wide wounds. Where there's no skin, muscle damaged, everything. Healed over so that you don't even see a scab in three or four days. How did that happen? Your body can do amazing things, but you're getting in the way of it doing that because you're filled with anger and resentment, fear, anxiety. And if you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start this process of forgiving others, of helping others, being concerned for others, even when they don't seem to love you or they seem to have ulterior motives, you're still projecting love in a particular direction, energy in a particular direction towards them. 
trying to do the right things, not letting them take advantage of you, not letting them be weakened by your attempt to assist them, but just being like Christ, that's going to have an effect. That is going to bring the the power of Christ. The power, because what's happening is the blood of Jesus is now your blood. You know, Moses talks about the the blood being the seed of the soul. And the soul includes your corporeal and incorporeal hereditaments of personality, which means your virtuous culture or your culture of virtue. Well, you can have a culture of vice as well. <laughs> you know, if you're unforgiving, that's that's the culture of vice. If you're uh, vengeful, that's vice. If you're gluttonous, that's vice. And if that's part of your culture, that's going to have an effect on you in your physical body. But it's also going to have an effect on your, when I say physical body, I include your DNA, your spiritual and physical DNA. And it's going to have an effect on it. So, the reason I bring up about this and, um, you know, and, and we created these websites and pages. I didn't write all the articles on the vaccine page. Uh, other people have contributed. Some of them I wouldn't have put on, but they felt like they do. And this is this is a forum that we allow people to share information. If we find something on any of our pages that you can find that is actually incorrect or false bring it to our attention we'll fix it because this uh, the our preparing you website is a website that is wiki run it's it's run by the people if you want to become an editor you have to sit down in the tens hundreds and thousands become a part of a free assembly and get to know people in that free assembly and participate and then if they give you if they say they think you are really what you say you are and who you really say you are, the, we can open the Preparing You website up to you adding stuff to it. But uh, it's all self-policed and run. If you add something to a page that people think is incorrect, you're going to have to prove that what you say is correct. Uh, and I'm sure there are many things in the website that is incorrect. Uh, but... Uh, where you just bring it to our attention and then we will address it and either we will bring cooperating proof or we will remove it. And uh, and that's how you do things. That's how you work in the world. But the key element is the fact that people are working together to make this happen. They're willing to sit down and listen to what other people have to say and share and listen to other sources of information. And that's how we got to the point where we're saying what we're saying. It's because we found evidence to the contrary. Also, I think we also following the Spirit. And that's critical. It's following that Spirit and trying to figure out where we're at and where we're not at in this process of, you know, seeking the righteousness of God. I mean, we're seeking the kingdom of God, but we're also seeking the righteousness of God. And in order to do that, we have to be honest and be open and look for the truth and be willing to admit, why, my goodness, I'm wrong. That's not the case. That's not right. And so what's happened is that we've we pretty much, and it's amazing how many people I know who don't have faith in vaccines anymore. 
And, you know, I sometimes wonder, well, how come I run into so many of these people who who don't have faith in vaccines anymore? They may go to doctors, but they don't just, you know, they do their own homework and research, and they don't just accept everything a doctor says as gospel. They They want to know what's going on. And there's some remarkably intelligent people in the network that have done a lot of homework to find out ulterior remedies. And that's how we see some of the miracles. But ultimately, the miracle is, you know, I, I'm not even going to tell you on the radio. I'll tell you in the Living Network. But anyway, we'll have to take a break and we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom after a few words. Okay, welcome back to the Keys of the Kingdom. We're we're looking at vaccines, and one of the things that I wanted to say, people wonder, you know, does autism cause, is caused by vaccines, or what are the side effects of vaccines? Uh, are we healthier because we're getting vaccines? Are they really making you safer? Well, a lot of those things we just talked about, but all this could be resolved rather easily by taking medical records that are in you know, European countries and in the United States and Canada and probably in Australia. And opening them up so that you're looking at, because you have groups of people that are not vaccinated. You have groups of people that are vaccinated and have been vaccinated for years and years. If you open up those health records, not identifying the people, but just the the blank health records of people, unvaccinated versus vaccinated people. And there is a lot of unvaccinated, like we in that one practice up in Portland, there was 714 in that one practice now a lot of people may not want to you know with these bills up front they may not want you even knowing who they are but you can open up those records anonymously and start examining who is the healthier group they don't want to do that they're staying away from that idea of looking at those medical records and comparing who is that because we know all kinds of people who get vaccinated get the same disease that they are vaccinated for. Sometimes shortly after, sometimes a year after, sometimes two or three years after, they get the disease anyway. And they say, well, they're not 100% efficient. Well, how efficient are they? Because if if you start looking at, if you put 10,000 people who are completely unvaccinated all over the world in a group and you look at how many of them are actually getting the viruses, how many of them are getting pertussis, whooping cough, how many of them are getting autism, how many of them are getting immune uh, disorders. And uh, then you look at the people who are getting all the vaccines and you're getting the people who get some of the vaccines. You can actually categorize it, put it into a computer database and find out Everybody who gets pertussis, everybody gets whooping cough, everybody, and find out who also gets uh, immune problems and and autism and some of the other things that have been linked to vaccines. You can do that. And all those people's records that doesn't, you don't put names with them. You just put a number with them so you know what records are in there. The data is already there. You just start somebody, you have to finance somebody accumulating that data and that is what the cdc should be doing although i actually i don't really trust the cdc to do that you need to get an independent groups you probably get two or three independent groups collecting the data and uh, you know finance that with your tax dollars 
and find out what is really making people healthy. We know for a fact that most of the polio was no longer a threat in the United States by the time the vaccines came out. It was like they were rushing to get the vaccines into place. The, the pandemic and epidemic was dwindling rapidly. Less and less people were getting the disease. And we know because 95% of the people showed no symptoms, that means that for every five people that showed some symptoms, some of those symptoms would be so mild they probably didn't even know they had polio. I know of of people who didn't even know they had polio. They had a cold, but they didn't know it was polio. And they they never got, it's only like a small, tiny percent that actually starts getting uh, paralyzed. And most of them completely overcome that paralysis. And if you use some of those techniques that I mentioned earlier uh, that were coming from the lady in Australia, uh, you could even have more people overcoming it. And one of the first things she wanted to do is get them out of the braces and get them exercising, start to do, you know, proper physical therapy and get the blood circulation back in to their body. There are people that are curing, and I will use that word, autism. They are certainly improving. They're saying, oh, you can't do anything about autism once it's, you know, you just take care of the individual. No. There are people who actually reverse their autism now going to colleges and universities and are doing rather well and have overcome a great deal of their autism. It's a case-by-case basis, but it can be done. The same with, you know, we've talked about this before, schizophrenia. Everybody tells you, oh, no, you just have to keep them on their medication forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Well, of course, if you're selling medication, I suppose you'd come up with that solution. But the reality is there are solutions. There are other things to do. But we don't even know what vaccines are actually accomplishing. The same people say you can't do anything about autism, can't do anything about schizophrenia. You know, take 35 uh, grams of aspirin. You know, those are the solutions they came up with. The medical institutions and uh, and groups came up with those kinds of solutions and it killed people. So how do you know that vaccines aren't killing people? Because those people told you they're not. Well, they've made mistakes before. And, you know, there's a product of arrogance that comes from, you know, you, 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 you spend a couple hundred thousand dollars on an education and you find out what they told you in school was not true. You have a tendency to stick by it anyway because you've got so much invested in that. And you have to balance that by being always willing to look at everything anew. Why aren't they looking at that data that is available? It's available. You just have to open it up and do the research. And that's what we've been talking about is that you guys need to do your research and find out. You, We know when polio was on the decline, where when it was disappearing. We know that in the Brazilian jungles, they were immune to all these uh, polios. But of course, up in... Alaska, the Eskimos and Inuits, they were not immune because they had not been exposed to polio. We know that Indians had a terrible time with smallpox and even uh, chickenpox and, and measles. Different races don't have immunity to certain diseases. That's why we have islands out in the Pacific uh, that uh, 
that no one is allowed to go on because the people there have not been exposed to the thousands of different viruses and diseases that we have in our society. But as if you want herd immunity and and you have people moving around, they're going to get exposed to disease of all kinds. And so you want good, healthy immune systems, not reliant on vaccines, that can overcome these diseases. And yeah, some people will die. But then again, most of the people who died from measles didn't actually die from measles. They died from complications. Many of those complications could be resolved by good medical practices, good health practices. You know, the addition of, like I say, vitamin A. That's one of the problems that measles, you can go blind can it's very rare but it's possible and so you you know and of course if it hits somebody who already has a compromised immune system but are we compromising people's immune system by giving them vaccinations these are things that we have to take into consideration why are you know it's kind of like I, i've talked about the dead sea scrolls who was against looking at the dead sea scrolls who was it against photographing them and releasing them to all academia, which is the normal thing you would do when you find these ancient documents. They're not under copyright. As somebody's found them, they, academia shares them and everybody studies them and you have, you end up with hundreds and hundreds of people looking them over, but they actually kept them sealed away so that people could not see them for a long time. And who was that that was doing it? What was the people who would who would be, you know, the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Jews. They were afraid of what they might find in there. I mean, who was keeping the people away from reading the Bible? The Catholic Church's power was threatened if everybody started reading the Bible. And, of course, they could say, well, we were worried that everybody would misinterpret it. Well, yeah, I could understand that. But you, you, the reality is, is that if we're all looking at the same thing and researching it and somebody thinks oh it means this and somebody else comes up with an opinion oh it means that and so then you talk it out and argue it out and check it out and find out what's true and that's what you should be doing with the data that is available on what exactly are vaccines accomplishing in the health practices and and the health well-being of the people of the world you can't you can't take data and say, oh, well, look, nobody over in this group is getting any vaccines and they're all dying of, you know, uh, diphtheria and, and cholera and all that stuff because they also don't have any sewage. They don't have clean drinking water. I mean, the number of people who die in the world today because of lack of clean drinking water, I mean, is, is phenomenal. That is that is a great threat. If you want to save the people in the poor countries, help them obtain clean drinking water. Help them learn to put down wells. Help them, you know, keep those wells from becoming contaminated. Uh, teach people about diet. Teach people about hygiene and, and not spreading the diseases. And you will do more to save them than... But pharmaceutical companies won't make much money sending down vaccines. And, of course, then you wouldn't have the outbreak in the Congo, uh, the outbreak in, in Syria from the vaccines. That's what's getting a lot of these people sick with those diseases. Of course, you know, there's, I mean, there's a lot of different things that we can do in order to resolve these issues. But just the those statistics that were given to me last night by an independent source, 
gathered by and, and examined by an independent source of the patients in this one office alone, statistically, it doesn't make any sense. If you look out there and you see one in 50 children are autistic today, that's that's ridiculous. That's a plague. But of the 715 who had gotten no vaccinations whatsoever, one. One, autis- one individual who is autistic. And then how did they get autistic? How did they become? Usually it has to, it's related to a fever uh, in the brain that damages nerves in the brain that causes a disconnect in the brain. And then, you know, the problems can stem from that fever. Well, for all we know, that one individual in the 715 patients had a fever because they were exposed to somebody else who had gotten a vaccine. I mean, we don't know that. But that's these are the kinds of things. You don't have to go and set up a whole test. The data is out there. You just have to put it together and research it. And they have the ability to do this, but they don't have the will to do it. And, uh, of course, now, if we had the money, I, you know, I would finance doing it. But I don't have the money. But there's a lot of money out there. So these are the things that people have to do. And, then, and of course, the, the doctor who wanted his data looked at, he got an independent individual to look at it. Because they knew that, well, I couldn't look at it. Nobody would believe me. So I needed somebody else to look at the data. And they looked at it, and they were just shocked that the kids who were not getting any vaccinations were way healthier. And chances are, they were immune to many of the diseases. And if their parents had not got vaccinations before them and they had got natural immunity, then it is more likely that they were able to obtain natural immunity. I also generally suspect that people who uh, did not get any vaccinations are also doing other things to improve their health, looking at diet and, and of course, hygiene, etc. So anyway, those are the things that we have to look at Those are things that we should be coming together and making happen. You know, we have, I just saw somebody had a mem where, you know, had two guys with big strong arms. I think one was black and one was white. And all you see is their arms. And they were talking about homeschoolers and anti-vaxxers. And I don't really consider myself an anti-vaxxer because I don't think I have any right to tell other people they can't have vaccinations. I just want everybody to have an understanding of what's going to happen if you do go and get a vaccination. What's actually going on? And if you make it mandatory, how is that going to improve the health of society? And is there better ways to do that? And so anyway, uh, the idea, the, the problem is that we're just taking somebody's word for it. And those people giving out that word are just parroting what they've been taught and told And the people who could be actually finding out, there's not much money in it for them. But there's a lot of money. lot. We're talking billions of dollars if they go nationwide and worldwide and start mandating vaccinations and boosters and everything else. I mean, they will become, I mean, they're already uh, wealthy, uh, fantastically wealthy companies. Now they will become even wealthier, far beyond anything. And it will... The problem is, besides costing taxpayers a huge amount of money and the people a huge amount of money, it may cost you your health. It it may may be very damaging because we know for a fact, and it has been stated by the guy who invented the vaccine, you know, the Salk vaccine, and it's in the congressional record that 
Almost all the cases of polio from 1961 on were caused by the vaccine. And that's what we're seeing in many of these foreign countries. They're literally keeping... It's not the wild virus because most of the people are getting immune to these things. Now, worms are actually some of the biggest problems in Africa. You know, parasites and, and all that again comes from poor drinking water. If you really want to help these people, help them obtain plumbing. And that will do way more for people in Africa than going around and vaccinating half of the population because you're, you're just spreading disaster and disease. And in that process, you're allowing more and more, uh, mutations of the bacteria, which will bring another wave of, that's what one of the problems with the Spanish flu. It came in three waves because so many people were getting it. They were getting it on the front lines in, in World War One, And uh, one of the reasons we won World War One <laughs> is because the other side got the Spanish flu first. And uh, so anyway, they had more people, contrition of more people getting sick and then spreading that back in their own countries. But they would take the sickest of the sick in the trenches, put them on crowded troop trains, send them back to overcrowded, overworked hospitals, and then back at, and they would have to dump people out of the hospital with partial clearance, and then those people would go out and spread. And also there was a news blackout because they didn't want people to know about it. So they were censoring. That's why they call it Spanish flu because there was no censoring in Spain. So you hear about it in Spain. But other people didn't realize how serious it was and they were getting contaminated with this. And during World War One, diet, uh, the people's diet suffered because of the food shortages and, and, uh, and a lot of other issues as well. And it was, we were in that transition of improving the water systems. You know, there was still a lot of old piping in places and there were remote areas that the flu got into and, and it wreaked this havoc. So there's a lot of things we can do that is not going to make the pharmaceutical companies rich, but I'm not really concerned about that. I'm concerned about people learning to care about one another as much as they care about themselves. And if you won't do the research, I'm I'm going to say, I don't think you care about others as much as you think. You say, oh, we need the vaccines, vaccines because you've already accepted by faith that they are actually curing these diseases. And they're not curing. Vaccines don't cure. Vaccines can impart partial immunity, but they don't cure. If you get the disease and get well again, which 95 to 98% of the people did, and many of them not even knowing that they got it and got well again, they had lifetime immunity, which is why the polio was disappearing before the vaccine even came into place and into play. And it's why so many people who got the vaccine ended up getting polio anyway. The people who got natural immunity, they probably never got polio. They could, actually there is a case that they could get it if something else is lowering their immune system. And one of the things that may be wreaking havoc with your immune systems and get creating these autoimmune problems that are cropping up also in pandemic numbers today 
is the introduction of vaccines. Now, people will question that, but the data is out there if you want to collect it you, and put it together so that it becomes readable. We know the people, people come in to a doctor's office in Europe uh, where they have socialized medicine. They have to put down their history, what vaccines they've had, what vaccines they didn't have. Okay, if they have had no vaccines and they and nobody with no vaccines comes in with autoimmune problems or almost none, but people who have had all their vaccines come in with huge amounts of autoimmune problems, you know there is a correlation. And the reality is is the causation is also there because the whole point of a vaccine is to fool around with in an unnatural sort of way fool around with the immune system of individuals. So that that there is a very logical causation that that could be the source of the problem. Now you need the data to find out if there's also a correlation uh, with the same thing. Listen, like I, which is why I mentioned some of the crazy things that doctors were thinking. I, I, I shouldn't say they're crazy. I mean, when they thought that polio was coming from the cat, somebody suggested that and wrote up about it and and so, what, 70,000 cats in New York were put to death and uh, because they thought that was the source. Well, it was the water. And the fact is, is polio's been around for thousands of years. It's just that we've been immune to it for thousands of years. But if all of a sudden you bring in a strain that we're not immune to, a lot of people could get sick. But again, 95% of the people who got polio didn't even know they got it. Didn't even know they got a lifetime of immunity. Doctors who study this know that's the case. Why isn't the news stories leading with that? Because then everybody's not going to go down and get the vaccination. And the pharmaceutical companies aren't going to make a billion dollars. So there you got it. And... With When you have these tragedies, people go out, march of dimes, oh, we're going to save the people, we're going to cure cancer, cure polio, cure pertussis, all this stuff. And everybody goes, oh, yes, Lord, Lord, save us, which is what these programs really are about is salvation. But I'm, I'm showing you, you really don't trust in God. God gave you a brain. God gave you eyes and ears, and you can look these things up, and you can find out what the truth is. Are you putting your faith in the wrong place? Are you putting your faith where it can actually bring about serious, serious problems for you and your neighbor? Well, do your homework. So the other thing that we're going to be talking about today, and, and I, I'm, I'm actually putting in an extra half hour on the show, and that's what we're talking about, but uh, I was uh, talking about charity. And of course, you know, Everything I've been talking about really is charity. Everything I've been talking about is, is salvation. But I, we're, we're going to be talking, and, and I'll mention some of these things again later on, about how they handled charity in uh, Greece and in Rome. And people talk about they can't really call the free bread of Rome some kind of charitable system because it, it was available to everybody equally, to all the citizens equally. Not so. There was a thing called Tessera, and you could get that Tessera. They didn't do a lot of applying for, you know, where you would go and 
fill out, you know, welfare papers and so it will go just to these poor people. They have to look at the whole culture, Roman culture, Greek culture. The idea of helping others and defending others, everybody had to be armed because the right to bear arms was the responsibility to bear arms. You had to come to the defense of your nation, the defense of your neighbor. Uh, when there was a hue and cry, everybody came out. Well, by the same token, when you gave, you know, when they went to build a temple, rich people would go down there and they would throw a coin when they were going to put the cornerstone in on the ground and they would set the cornerstone on those coins. And that was, you know, those would be the last coins that the temple spent on the needy of society. Religion was how they took care of the needy of society. And what is the needy of society? They need food. They need shelter. They need uh, care. They need uh, to uh, justice. And so that's the kinds of things that they took care of in all the different temples. That's why you had the Temple of Mineta that made money. That's what it did. It coined money. The temple at Ephesus also minted coin. It also created investments because the money that you sent into the temple was invested a lot of times because of Ephesus' location. They had a lot of investments in fisheries, uh, which brought food into the people, which was very important. If crops failed, they would have to depend upon the ocean to supplement the difference. It also invested money in shipping because shipping could bring in commodities and take commodities back out and sell it. And it made the nation healthier, made Ephesus great again (laughs) because they invested in that temple. Now, they often invested in a temple where they would put money in and want to get dividends back when the temple made a lot of money. Now, that wasn't always the case. When they're throwing those coins down on the ground and then putting you know, a stone over it, that wasn't an investment, that was charity. They were just throwing that out for the whole of society. And this was a common spirit that you wanted to contribute to the rest of society. You wanted to give, protect, and help, you know, serve justice to everyone. And so when they had the free bread, uh, it was kind of like a potluck. They had a certain amount of official free bread coming out sometimes money sometimes wine sometimes cheese all kinds of different things might be included in these giveaway programs which were every week almost if you were well to do you didn't want to be seen in that line uh you you wanted to be seen at the line but maybe bringing maybe to bring food to to contribute uh this was you, there was actually a guy, and I've talked about this in great deal. There was a guy in charge of receiving all the donations and making them available to other people. The emperors often added huge amounts of sums to this, these feasts and donations. And that's why we said, you know, even in Judea, Augustus was loved because he gave away bread every month, sometimes every week in Judea to the needy of society. If you were not the needy, you didn't go line up for the bread. So it was kind of an honor system. People knew each other. These aren't 10 million people living in Rome. And the distribution places were spread out out in the community. I am sure there would be some poor people who, would, when there was a distribution, they would be in the front line in one community. 
And then they would run over and try to be in another line in another community. But the reality is that the people knew each other. And people would say, hey, what are you doing here? You belong over there. And then back to what I was saying, the Tessera. You would get this clay tablet. Actually, it's almost like a coin. And that would not only get you your free bread. You show the coin, you get the free bread. They know you're from this district. They know you're from this area. You can't just run over to the next area and get food. So they they did have systems in place to make sure that nobody got more than their fair share. You would also use that coin to get into the games, the entertainment, the free bread and circuses, to get into the circus. You would show it. It was like an ID coin, that I am one of these. Because there were a lot of foreigners in Rome, and they wouldn't be on the dole. Because they weren't, you know, they needed to come with their own provisions. They weren't just giving out to them. Christianity had this other system. And this other system was the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Which which is why Jesus commanded his apostles, his disciples. They weren't apostles yet. They were going to be. They were training. Disciples mean students. They were going to be distributing, rightly dividing the bread from house to house. They were going to be the social welfare of his kingdom of heaven at hand. And they were going to be able to provide for the needy of their society, the widows, the orphans, the people whose families fell on hard times and could not support themselves. They were going to do this through the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And that's why Christ commanded that his people were to sit down or they weren't going to get any loaves and fishes. And that's what they were doing at Pentecost, organizing themselves in a charitable network of tens, hundreds, and thousands. And if you read the book, Thy Kingdom Come, we show you how that was so common throughout Europe during the days uh, up to the decline and fall of the Roman Empire and beyond for almost a thousand years. It wasn't until the rise of the kings that 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 tens, hundreds, and thousands began to become squashed and fought and and put down. It was still being used in America. In Paul Revere's writing, uh, where he's out there writing, it wasn't just Paul Revere. Actually, Paul got lost <laughs> in the dark. I'm not picking on him. But he didn't make it to all the places he was supposed to go. But there was a whole network of guys, and they weren't just going out riding through the town like the poem. They did ride through the town and shout, but they were telling other men who went and told other men because they were organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. During the World War II, the French underground organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. This is uh, the most common way in which people have organized themselves as free societies from the beginning of mankind. And that's what people need to do again. And that's why we've created the network so that people can start to gather for those purposes. But it is self-filtering. If you join just so because you want to be free, it's not going to work. If you join just because you want somebody to take care of you, it's not going to work. If you join because you care about others as much as you care about yourself, then it might work. But you have to care about those others in a way that is practical. And so, yeah, homeschoolers, home health, uh, which may not include vaccinating, 
Uh, it's up to you. It's your choice. I'm not dictating these things from the top down. But I am saying that if you don't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, they will pick you off one at a time. And uh, I could go into, I mean, this goes into every aspect uh, of activities that help protect your freedom. You can imagine what that means. Not just health, food, distribution of food, obviously. I mean, what happens if there's no food in the grocery store? Where are you going to get it? You're going to get it from your neighbor? Or are you going to go over with a gun? You know, that was a joke that we used to tell all the time is, you know, when people were talking about stocking up. I says, well, we were going to make money by creating a deluxe survival kit with, you know, hundreds of pounds of freeze-dried food and and everything. And we would sell these kits for $10,000. For $1,000, we will give you... uh you know, uh, 500 pounds of grain and a grist mill or whatever it is, 1,000 pounds of grain and a grist mill. And, uh, you know, that that's the economy model. Or for 100 bucks, we'll give you a list of all the Mormons in your community because Mormons used to store up and stock up food and everything. So, uh, and of course, people would chuckle in. The whole thing was a joke anyway. We weren't going to do that. But uh, the idea is that you know, if you don't provide for one another, somebody's going to come and take everything you got. And that's kind of, that's one of the quotes that I think that was Jefferson's is that the government powerful enough to give you everything you think you need or want is the same government has the power to take away everything you do need and want. So in a government of the people, for the people and by the people, that's a government that operates not on force, not on covetous practices, but on love for one another. So anyway, that's where we got to go. That's what we got to do. And we're going to take another break and we'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom in a little bit. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And again, what's the Keys of the Kingdom? The Keys of the Kingdom is what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loose in heaven. That's the key. So how do you bind and loose? Well, you're often bound by ideas. Somebody gives you an idea, you say these magic words and then you're saved. Or idea that if you get this vaccination, you'll be healthy and you'll be safe. Um, you get ideas that if I vote Democratic or Republican, that they will save the world. Um, you know, if I move to the United States or, you know, if Oregon's laws get too authoritarian, I'll move to Montana well, the fact is, is the same thing's going on there. And then when it's federal, I don't know what you're going to do. What are some of the repercussions of that bill that they, that's been passing every committee and headed eventually for the Oregon legislature? Uh, what, what's, what's happening uh, and what would happen? Well, your kids won't be able to go to school unless they can have all updated vaccines. Most people don't have all updated vaccines. Do you have any idea how many vaccines that is? Uh, have you seen the list? Well, we have at least one of those lists uh, for 1983 and 2013. But they will be adding more to those lists because you're going to see more outbreaks once this starts to take effect if they get far enough to start doing it. Because that's what's happened every other time. If you expect different results, then, you know, that's that's what crazy is. You know, if you're going to do the same thing and expect a different result, then that's insanity. So anyway, um, 
they can come up with all kinds of vaccines and you have to keep them up. And once they get this in the door, it's hard to get it back out again. So your kids can't go to school. They can't go to private school. They can't go to private schools and charter schools. They can't gather with other kids that go to charter schools or private schools or public schools. That means they can't go to football games. They can't go to, you know, they, they become isolated. Even in homeschool situations, if they, if you were to, you know, be doing your classes from home, that, which is limited, you have to remain isolated because you didn't get the vaccine. Now, tell you the truth, that's a good thing. If your kid doesn't get the vaccine and everybody else is getting theirs, you want to be isolated because those vaccines can put your children at risk. They don't have to be isolated forever. It's kind of like when there's the zombie apocalypse. Eventually, you run out of zombies. But in the meantime, you may have to, you may want to be a little isolated. But if you can't fly on planes, you can't get on trains. You can't get on buses. Well, how are they going to enforce that? Are you going to have to walk around with a ID that, you know, that has your vaccine schedule on it? No. You just, you just have to take your vaccine schedule from your medical doctor into the DMV in order to get a license. Now this means that parents are going to have to start taking boosters because most of the vaccines that they got when they were kids are worn off and they're going to need to take Boosters, some of those boosters have to be taken annually. And it might be a multitude. It might be 20 boosters you have to take every year or every four years, every five years. If you don't take them, you don't get your driver's license. This is what they're moving towards. Now, will they get to that or not? Well, that's kind of, you know, remember Nineveh. You know, he came and people repented and they started doing something different and it, it thwarted the destruction of Nineveh and it wasn't destroyed. But uh, I don't know. It does not, the statistics I'm looking at does not look good. So anyway, this can be very disruptive and running to another state is not the answer. Coming together, running away is not the answer. Coming together and start caring for one another, finding the alternative way of caring for one another. In your gathering, I tell you, it's like plutonium. Being a real Christian is like plutonium. The blood of Christ is supposed to be in your heart and in your mind. That's what's supposed to be writing on your heart and your mind. When you gather with other people, and I mean, it's it's going to be really hard to even find those other people, but at least if somebody's professing to want to do what Christ commanded, which is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, if they really want to do that, then that, then you should gather with them until you see that maybe, you know, if you find out some serious danger problems with them, but if you're going to gather with somebody, you should gather with them. You only have to help them according to the leading of the Holy Spirit in you. But then you have to start that process of doing that. We, we've lost that. That used to just be common every place community in America. You knew everybody in the community in America. And you took care of your neighbor. And you might not even like your neighbor, but you may still take care of your neighbor. Because that's the way you are and the way you do things and and it was the habit it was the cultural virtuous habit of the people and that's what made america great you know you've got people out there that are saying uh things like uh uh you know that uh america was never great 
And, but you ask them, well, what will make it great? Well, we become a socialist na- nation, and then we will be great. Well, how how does that work? That becoming a socialist, because what that is, is that we have instituted the rule of force to take care of the needy of society. And 150 years before Christ, Polybius said that that would be the downfall of society. And of course, it is the downfall of society. So somebody shared on the network uh, an interesting, uh, I guess, paper, article, and it was on charity. And it talks about in Greco-Roman culture, the the well-to-do weren't expected to support and help the poor. Now, they're just putting this, they're saying this, help the poor. The Greek and Latin verbs for doing good, being beneficent, uh, never have the poor as their object, nor do they mean almsgiving. The Greek word philanthropia doesn't have the sense of our modern philanthropy does today. Well, yes and no. I mean, he's saying these things and it's kind of interesting and to some degree it's kind of true. He says one, one is, uh, philanthropist, Towards uh, one's own people, family, guests, uh, not toward the poor. Well, yeah, also towards the poor. And I'll show you how that works in a minute. But they go on and talk about uh, elemosin, which is another Greek word, which uh, has to do with alms is derived. And those of you who've done a little bit of studying the law, we talk about an, an elemosinary trust. And that's, of course, what... Social Security is. It's a, uh, it's to help out the needy of your society. That's what welfare is. That's what Medicare or Medicaid are. They're uh, elemosinary trusses, trusts, and uh, they're they're trying to help out the poor. But they are not strengthening the poor. And that's really what the Greeks understood. Yeah, it was basically you're supposed to help your family first. And your family was, of course, your immediate family. But then there were distant cousins and uh, dis- distant members of your clan. And people that they liked, particularly, I've showed before, uh, there was a uh, a little uh, stone carving of a hand. And on it, it said that the bearer of this is the friend of so-and-so. And so it actually was this great-grandson of somebody who had done a favor for a particular family, now came and collected by saying, I'm the great-grandson of so-and-so who saved your father back in the Battle of Axiom or wherever it was, and you're welcomed into the house. And they help you. And because there's this connection. So that is that is the poor, but it's a poor with a connection. Why? Because there is a responsibility in charity. You need to know the individual that you're helping. There is no virtue in just being poor. And you want to promote virtue. You want to uh, encourage virtue. You want to strengthen the virtue in society. So just because somebody's poor doesn't mean you should provide for them. So yes, in that sense, these words uh, where we get the word philanthropy means that you have to be philanthropic or altruistic in a righteous sort of way. This is why it says, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
You certainly are not to oppress the poor. And you aren't to oppress the stranger in your midst. And these are actually things that were not just uh, true amongst the Israelites in the early stages. I mean, it's written in the Torah and in the text. But you also, you will find this in other cultures, that they were to be hospitable to the stranger. And give them, you know, you weren't going to necessarily bring them in and let them sleep with your daughter, but you might allow them a place to stay, feed them, but you're going to want to see them chop some wood before they go, etc., etc. And so, uh, there's, you know, there's a number of different things that we could talk about in this, but this whole idea of, and I thought the article was a little bit swayed. It talks about religion was not much help to the poor. They simply weren't the favorites of the gods. Well, what they're saying is, why are you poor? They're asking the question, why are you poor? Is it because you your wife left you because you were beating your wife? Your kids all hate you because you were brutal to your kids? Uh, is it because you were lazy? Is it because you're drunkard? Is it because you, you know, why are you poor? And what evidence do we have that you are worthy of our charity? Because you don't have charity for everybody. The idea that you're just going to feed everybody who doesn't work, that would be counterproductive for society as well as that individual. You have to be willing to help out society. In other words, you you want to help those people that love their neighbor as much as they love themselves. Well, there are people out there that are self-destructive. They will destroy you and they will destroy themselves. And we've talked about that. That's what you see. That's a whole spirit. Now, everybody's not going to go pick up some sort of semi-automatic rifle and go out and start shooting people. But there are people who have done that and there are people who poison people. I mean, more people are killed with blunt instruments from hammers to baseball bats uh, to rocks than are killed with guns in America. With rifles, anyway, in America. And then many of those people that are killed with rifles in America, uh, there's a certain number of them that are killing themselves. That's, it's suicide. And that, you know, that's, that's again, that destructive spirit. Kill others, kill yourself. Destroy the lives of others, destroy your life. That's a spirit that gets into a person. How does that spirit get into the person? It's very simple. If you care about yourself more than you care about others, that spirit can get into you and start writing upon your heart and upon your mind. So you want to be the reverse of that. You want to care about others as much as you care about yourself. And guess what? You are now immune to that spirit. It cannot get into you and write upon your heart and upon your mind. If you are forgiving, that is an injection of the virtue of Christ's blood. You're literally, you know, that's how, that's how vaccines were made, is that they took blood from a cow that had cowpox, uh, which you, you normally can't get cowpox. You actually can. Milkmaids would sometimes get a little bit of cowpox that have these little, uh, sores that would appear on their hands because they're milking cows that have cowpox and they would get exposed over and over again and they would get a mild form of cowpox. And then they would heal up because it's from a cow. It didn't have it didn't have a lot of uh, oomph in their system, but they were also then immune to smallpox. They wouldn't get smallpox, 
they had this immunity. And somebody, Louis Pasteur, noticed that. That they were immune because they had been exposed and their body overcame that exposure and it also made them immune to smallpox. And see, that wasn't going on amongst the Indians, so the Indians were highly susceptible to that. But eventually, Indians became immune to smallpox. Just the same as the Brazilian Indians were all immune to every strain of polio. They had hurt, total herd immunity against almost every strain of polio. Then that might go on forever because we're making new strains because of all this vaccinating. And uh, we got people walking around making new strains of polio in them because they're carrying an active polio. They're not getting real sick, so they're staying alive. See, that's one of the things about Ebola. Uh, or, yeah, it's Ebola. They, they uh, Ebola usually kills people so rapidly that it doesn't spread well. Because before they could walk to the next village, they're dead. And if you handle the body properly, nobody gets sick and it doesn't spread so fast. But the reality is that people are getting immune to Ebola. But if it mutates, then it may come back with a vengeance. You know, and... uh, and this is constant, this is part of evolution. This is what's so amazing. All the people who believe in evolution also believe in vaccinations, which is trying to thwart evolution. The vaccinations are trying to keep sick people who have poor immune systems, maybe don't take care of themselves, which is why they have a poor immune system. You know, you know, if you're getting drunk, that can affect your immune system. If you're overindulging in, in sugars or other sweeteners, that can affect uh, your immune system. There are other things that can do it. But the healthier you are, the better your immune system normally works. Well, carry this over into the spiritual aspect of life. When he says religion was not much help to the poor, but religion back then was how you took care of the needy of society. If the poor were a part of society, you know, like the widow who was poor and gave her might to help others, well, others came and helped out the widow. The widow didn't get go hungry because they saw the noble character of the widow. And you say, well, maybe they didn't, and maybe she just died. Well, yeah, then society should die. But your your charity should be based on honor and responsibility and moral virtues. It's, you You should not be feeding people and helping people that just want to use other people. And that's what we have. A lot of people on welfare today. Not all, obviously. I don't even know about it. It's even the majority. But everybody knows there are people on welfare who thinks the world owes them a living. They're the grasshoppers of modern society. And they think you owe them welfare because they're poor. You don't owe them that. You owe righteousness. And... And you owe righteousness only if you want righteousness back. If you want to covet your neighbor's goods, expect your life. If you're willing to take away a portion of your neighbor's life so that you may have what you want, expect the world to take away your life to have what the world wants. And that's, that is the cause and effect of reality. That's how it works. So, yeah, they, the, this article is not really extremely accurate. It has bits and pieces that are true and we kind of go through it. But the idea that 
You know, the poor could not pray for help from the gods because they were poor. For their poverty was a disadvantage in their contact with the gods. Well, yes and no. What they're saying is that, again, the poor would needed to ask, why are they poor? If they're poor because somebody came through and robbed them, then it's not so much their fault that they're poor. But if it's poor because they've been lazy, then they need to look. You cannot, you know, why haven't their friends helped them out? You know, that I asked that. Somebody was asking for uh, financial help. And I knew the guy. And I know, you know, we asked him to help out a widow a lady. And this is in the Midwest. And uh, and he was supposed to be a part of a congregation. And, and he had all kinds of time on his hands. She was nearby. But he, he never had time to help her out. And then things got worse for him. And then we're all supposed to drop everything and go help him. But it, do, it doesn't work that way. He needs to know... That you need to help one another. You need to have, you know, if we didn't care about them, yeah, we could just send them some of your money, which is what the government does. It takes money away from everybody, and then it sends money to anybody who asks for the money, meets their qualification, which has nothing to do with morality, nothing to do with intent, nothing to do with character or honor. It just has to do with the fact that you're poor, and we're just going to help you out. And people actually try to rationalize this. They try to explain it. That, well, yeah, they're poor. You need to help them out because they're poor. No, not necessarily. They may need to fast. <laughs> they need to, may need to go hungry for a little bit. They need may need to, you know, I mean, obviously, if they can't work, we don't want to just leave them in the ditch like the guy who got beat up, uh, you know, in the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan said, okay, well, I'm going to help you get back on your feet. But once you got back on your feet, I'm not going to help you forever. You know, because you, you got beat up, that doesn't mean you're going to be helped forever. So you need to know why somebody is in need of help in order to really help them. Because maybe they need to overcome their alcoholism. Maybe they need to overcome the fact that they're always angry at everybody and they can't keep any friends. And so when they found themselves on hard times, their friends didn't want to help them out. Because they... They were angry all the time and never wanted to help their friends. And their friends had come to them and eventually he drove all his friends away. And then now now he wants strangers to help him. Because the strangers are the only ones who can put up with him. No, he needs to change his personality. He needs to change the way he treats others. And that if he treats others in a righteous way, then the righteous will be there for him. If Why would we want to save, you know... You know, if Jeffrey Dahmer fell on hard times, should we just send him a check every month? You know, maybe $1,500 a month to help keep him in a house, you know, and he could bury more kids underneath it. No, and eat more people, eat more of his neighbors because we're helping him out because he's poor. He lost his job because he was a cannibal. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm being ridiculous here, but that's that's what our modern welfare system is like. Uh, they, they think that somehow or other because you're poor, we need to help you. Uh, they talk about the distribution of corn to the population by city-states, uh, or emperors in times of need cannot pass for organized charity because the corn was given to all citizens in equal measure, not only to the poor. It was made available to all the, the citizens. 
But obviously, the poor would often get in the front of the line. And if you, you know, they had feasts. Everybody's invited to feasts, and then you eat it. And many times, these feasts were, you know, they were, you know, killing some uh, meat and cooking up because there wasn't a lot of meat. You were, there was no refrigeration, so when you had this feast, this was very important that everybody would get a share. And yeah, but they did help out the poor. They did help out the needy. But what you found in early Christianity, like one of the things, because of the cessation of marriage and the breakdown of the family, which comes about whenever you have a socialist type system, you know, families, they don't need to have a lot of kids to take care of them because the government's going to take care of them. So they, they don't make the sacrifice that comes along with having a lot of children. And they just have one, maybe two children. And anyway, uh, we're not going to have time to go to it all, but Christians, they were going out on the barges and saving children and bringing them back. Children they didn't even know. But the Romans were throwing their kids, because they didn't want to raise them, out on the garbage barges and putting into them. And so that's the division of the separation of the goats and the sheep. Anyway, until next week, peace on your house, and may God be with you. See you on the network. Join the network. Uh, we're going to have more meetings in Florida soon. Get on the network so you know when they're going to take place. Until then, God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www dot his holy church dot net